This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's a worldwide hit that's brought the history, manners, and style of the early 20th century back into vogue. On Wednesday, the third season of Downton Abbey premiered on Vision TV. I'll go behind the scenes with my special guest, Leslie Nickel, the actress who plays Mrs. Patmore, Downton's controlling cook. Plus, the Toronto Western Hospital is in the midst of building the Kremble Discovery Centre. The $150 million project will feature state-of-the-art facilities for neuroscience research. It will also be the new home of my guest, Dr. Anthony Lang, a world leader in research on Parkinson's disease. He'll join me a little later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Zoomers who get a hip or a knee replaced might be in for an unexpected benefit, a better sex life. Researchers polled 147 patients who had undergone joint replacement surgery in New York. The majority said arthritis and joint pain had interfered with their sex lives prior to surgery. But after surgery, 81% of those patients reported having more sex. The benefits were the most pronounced for women who had previously reported the highest levels of discomfort due to painful joints. Canada's International Federation on Aging is petitioning Facebook to ban what it calls age-related hate speech after a recent Yale University study found seniors were targets of bigotry on the social networking site. The study looked at 86 groups with almost 26,000 users between them. They found 74% vilified older people, 27% infantilized them, and 37% advocated that they be barred from activities like driving and shopping. It was a sad week as we said goodbye to three Zoomer luminaries. It started with the death of Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. We're very happy that we leave the United Kingdom in a very, very much better state than when we came here 11 and a half years ago. Thatcher was the United Kingdom's first female prime minister, holding office from 1979 to 1990. As a strong fiscal conservative, her leadership style earned its own ism, Thatcherism. She was a very polarizing figure, privatizing many state-owned industries and standing up against unions, which earned her both admiration and contempt. This has continued into her death. While many people have shared kind words in remembrance of Thatcher, her detractors have organized an online campaign that sent this song to the top of the UK charts. 
Margaret Thatcher was 87 when she passed away following complications from a stroke. Her funeral is set for April 17th at St. Paul's Cathedral in London and will be attended by over 2,000 politicians, dignitaries and celebrities, including Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Britain said goodbye to another pioneer, Nobel laureate Robert Edwards. Together with Dr. Patrick Steptoe, Edwards developed in vitro fertilization, or IVF, which in 1978 resulted in the birth of the world's first test tube baby, Louise Brown. At the time, the two were accused of playing God and interfering with nature. Since then, the European Society for Human Reproduction and Embryology estimates that about 5 million babies have been born using this technique. And finally, we lost an American pop culture icon. Annette Funicello, one of the original Mouseketeers, passed away after living with MS for many years. She was a Mouseketeer at the age of 12 and then became a teen icon with a singing and acting career. At the height of her popularity, she starred alongside Frankie Avalon in a series of beach party movies in the mid-60s. In 1992, Annette announced she had multiple sclerosis. She became a spokesman for MS and later set up the Annette Funicello Research Fund for Neurological Disease. Diseases. She was 70 when she passed away at a hospital in Bakersfield, California. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a global blockbuster that has influenced fashion decor and dining and sparked a renewed interest in all things early 20th century. Season 3 of Downton Abbey has just launched on Vision TV. I reached Leslie Nichol, who plays head cook Mrs. Patmore, at the London studio where the cast is shooting season 4. So first of all, I have to say I'm very excited to speak to you. I'm a huge Downton Abbey fan. Oh, good, good. That's a good start. That's a good start. Now, first of all, are you surprised by the response to the show and the huge success it's enjoying? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Anything you do, you don't know, however good you hope it might be, until it's in front of an audience, you can't predict what the reaction will be. And we certainly didn't know it would be this big globally, actually, apart from anything else. It's certainly influenced fashion in all kinds of things. Now, you yeah. play Mrs. Patmore, the cook, and one of the things it has influenced, people are interested in the food of the era. I know, about which I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> when you play a character like that and you see she was the cook, the head cook, what a tough job that is. Yeah. What, what do you make of that? Well, you know, we've been very blessed from the very beginning to have a guy on set called Alistair Bruce, who is the historical advisor. And he really helped us at the beginning by talking to us about what life would have been like then and explaining how things work. And all of us might have had misconceptions about being a servant and all the rest of it. And he, he explained to us very early on that from the kitchen's point of view, this has to be the best show in town. And that explains why... She seems to shout quite a lot, and she's getting people up to speed all the time, and mistakes cannot be forgiven. And when she makes mistakes, it's, you know, tragedy. And because the stakes were really high, because you can't come away from that house and say, that was a rotten meal, wasn't it? You know, it has to be the best. So um, it was very useful to really find out how things, you know, why, why things were the way they were. And he also said, don't pity these people. They've got good jobs. 
know, they have a pride in their job and they have good jobs. That's one thing that strikes us here, especially in North America, that uh, the way service is portrayed in yeah. Downton Abbey, it's not a shameful thing. The idea of no. being a servant is something that's, you know, looked down on in North America. Yeah. If you take it in context, you know, Northern England at this time, from 1912 up to the early 20s, the people around them, you know, from there where they came from, would be more likely working in the fields, farming, maybe a factory, you know, but they weren't glamorous jobs. And these were jobs where you got given food and lodging and a wage and half a day off a week. And, you know, in my case, a benevolent employer who helped her out when her eyes were failing. And, you know, so it's not a bad situation. And you can see they're proud of their work. You know, they're not downtrodden. They have a pride in what they do. British society at that point was very class-oriented, but there was a hierarchy among the servants as well. Oh, my goodness, almost more than upstairs. <laughs> I mean, really, when, we, when you hear what, how Mr. Carson behaves, and he's really uh, the head of our downstairs, he's more kind of restrictive and stuck and stubborn than, than the upstairs people. You know, he's absolutely got his pecking order worked out, and finds it very hard to work to deviate from that and that's something you see in the third season which i know you're about to see of mr carson and robert upstairs struggling with change you know well your character as well mrs patmore she's not very nice to uh, the kitchen maid that works under her who daisy yes well i think as time goes on you'll just see that that relationship develops and develops and that's what's great about having julian write this you know he he writes how people are and um as the time goes on you can see a relationship that's very much developed from the early days to where it is now and they are extremely fond of each other there's a new kitchen maid in season three right there is uh, yes there is and she's sassier basically the dynamic in the kitchen changes as you will see completely because there are more people there since the war they've kind of been able to take some more people on and of course this is a very small world you know so everything changes and you know uh, they all get fond of each other and it's all not working out for the right one and it all gets very mixed up. Do you think that your role uh, as the head cook is it a good window for all the changes that were taking place in the uh, early 20th century? Mrs. Patmore has her world, which is her kitchen. What's obvious is that for a while they were struggling with food supplies, and that seems to have got slightly better. Um, You see that now there are more youngsters in the kitchen. Those are the sort of little indications of what's going on outside, but it's like a little goldfish bowl, really. I mean, it's its own microcosm, (laughs) her kitchen. Do we have any hints on, uh, I mean, I'm hoping there will be many seasons to come of Downton Abbey. (laughs) Do you have any idea how long the series will run? No, I really don't. I'll tell you, I think, well, we know we're we're at the moment filming season four. There's a possibility, I believe, but, you know, nothing's confirmed until it's put in front of an audience of maybe the one after that. But I, I have no idea who would make that decision or when they would make it. We look forward very much to season three. Leslie Nichol, thank you so much. Hope you enjoy it. You can watch Downton Abbey Wednesdays at 9 p.m. on Vision TV. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. A diagnosis of Parkinson's disease comes with a lot of fear. 
fear of deteriorating, of losing mobility and independence. But thanks to research being done right here in Toronto, the outlook is better for tens of thousands of Parkinson's patients. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Dr. Anthony Lang. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Actor Michael J. Fox has it, and so does former radio host Andy Barry. Over 100,000 Canadians are living with Parkinson's disease, and some cutting-edge treatment and research is underway right here in Toronto. Dr. Anthony Lang is spearheading those efforts at the University of Toronto and Toronto Western Hospital's Kremble Neuroscience Centre. How far have we come in the treatment of Parkinson's in the last few years? I think we're seeing a uh, slow but definite uh, improvement in the way we manage Parkinson's disease. Remarkably, though, the best treatment we have is a drug called levodopa, which replaces the deficient uh, transmitter in the brain, dopamine, which we know is low in Parkinson's. Remarkably, that treatment was introduced in the 60s and 70s, and uh, it remains the most effective drug we have for Parkinson's disease. We use it more carefully and wisely. We use it in combination with a number of other drugs, and so there's additional or complementary benefit. We now have surgical therapies that provide really quite striking benefits in appropriate cases, but it is interesting that drug has still remained the most effective drug for Parkinson's disease in uh, many, many years. And are you searching for new drug therapies, or are you happy with the way this performs? Oh, I don't think anyone's happy with it. It is remarkable the extent to which patients can benefit. The treatments that we have now are very effective at improving the symptoms, but they really don't alter the progressive decline of the nerve cells. And unfortunately, eventually, the symptoms of Parkinson's disease overwhelm the benefit that our treatment provides. And so we do need treatments that influence that course. When you hear those words, you have Parkinson's, it's it's one of those dread diagnoses. But what are people typically facing in terms of how long it takes to progress and how long they'll be able to continue normal activities? It varies considerably from person to person. And in fact, myself and others have argued that we really, in fact, should be talking about Parkinson's diseases. Some people, it seems to be, for reasons that we don't understand, a remarkably benign condition. It will respond well to the treatments that we uh, provide. And after many years, uh, a decade or or more, patients have really not a great deal of uh, increase in their disability. And then we have other patients who have a much more rapid or malignant course. Probably what most people notice first would be a tremor, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Where in their hands and their arms? The tremor can affect almost any part of the body, but most commonly in the hands and in the arms, as you say. And it can affect the feet or the legs. It can affect the jaw. Many muscles can be affected by the tremor. A high proportion of patients with Parkinson's disease have this rhythmical shaking of the fingers or the hands, but a certain proportion don't ever have tremor. Probably the most disabling symptom of Parkinson's is something called bradykinesia, or slowness of movement. And that slowness of movement impairs pretty well every activity you can imagine. So doing up buttons, brushing teeth, actually rotatory movements in the hands, like brushing teeth or beating an egg, are very commonly affected early on. Uh, Doing up shoelaces, uh, pulling on pants and socks, putting an arm into a sleeve, 
How important is early diagnosis? I think for understanding, reassurance, improvement in general lifestyle, because, for example, we believe things like exercise, weight loss, etc., are very good for all medical conditions, but particularly Parkinson's disease. Uh, one tolerates the symptoms of Parkinson's better if you're fit and, uh, and healthy. And there's even some reason to believe that exercise has a growth-promoting effect on the brain, a so-called trophic effect. So there are studies now going on to see whether exercise might actually be protective in the brain of patients with Parkinson's. For somebody who's just been diagnosed or a family member, what would you tell them? Often they come to my clinic and they see people in the waiting room who have had the disease for 15 years. And that concerns them. They see the kind of disability that people that have long-standing disease can have. The patient with early Parkinson's disease now needs to understand that we'll have 15 more years of advances, and the speed of scientific advances is really quite phenomenally changing. So I think there's a lot of hope that we're going to have the answers that we need to help patients diagnose today. Okay, Dr. Anthony Lang, thanks so much. You're quite welcome. You can read more about Dr. Lang's work in the May issue of Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return to celebrate the birthday of one of the world's most iconic country singers, Loretta Lynn. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Michael Kramer. In New York, it's Tony Award winner Alan Cumming in his one-man version of Macbeth, set in a psychiatric ward. He begins to recite or to perform the play of of Macbeth in the hospital. It's really part of his psychosis. The show runs at the Ethel Barrymore Theatre until June 30th. To Frankfurt, where the city celebrates its annual Spring Fair. The Frankfurt Fair dates back to the 14th century when it was a medieval market for pottery. And over in London, explore the history of the legendary entertainment district by taking a Theatreland tour a must for anyone with an interest in London theatre. I'm Michael Kramer, and that's your International Arts Day Tour. That's the beautiful country voice of Loretta Lynn, who is celebrating her 81st birthday today. She was born Loretta Webb in Butcher Hollow, a coal mining community in Kentucky. She grew up in a very poor household, and by the age of 15, she had met and married her husband, Oliver Vanetta Lynn Jr. Their relationship was extremely turbulent. He often had affairs and struggled with alcohol abuse. However, he also supported Loretta and her talent. For their six-year anniversary, he bought her her first guitar, and when she was 24, he encouraged her to become a singer and started serving as her de facto manager. Their life together became one of the great American stories captured beautifully in the Oscar-winning movie 
coal miner's daughter. They stayed married until Oliver's death in 1996, and during that time, their relationship was the basis for some of Loretta's iconic songs. Her first number one hit is without question based on her husband and his love of booze. Written and released in 1967, here is Don't Come Home A-Drinkin' With Lovin' On Your Mind. Well, you thought I'd be waiting up when you came home last night. You'd been out with all the boys and you ended up half tired. So don't come home a drinking with loving on your mind. No, don't come home a drinking with loving on your mind. That was Loretta Lynn's famous song, Don't Come Home a Drinkin'. Loretta is celebrating her 81st birthday today. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week to find out where the best chefs in the world go for their favorite meals all over the world. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bandrill. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.